This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg So he said that there is a love, a level of love which is superior to all the previous levels of love. Fall into the category of silver, like silver. Silver comes from the Hebrew word to yearn, to desire, to desire Hashem. So all the previous loves, God is my father and God is my life, all of that is a yearning and a love towards Hashem. But then there is a love which is compared to gold. Just like the superiority of pure of gold to silver. It's qualitatively different. The gold sparkles and shines. It's just a very precious, precious commodity. And it just gives you the light of just looking at the gold. And, you know. So too, there is a love which is superior to the previous love. Just like gold is superior to um, silver. And although in general gold is compared to gevura, strength, kesef corresponds to kindness, love. So in general we categorize, we say that silver represents love versus gold represents awe, being in awe of Hashem, like we learned earlier. But he says, even within love itself, there are two types of love. There's a love that comes from the right side, that comes from the, the right brain, the creative mind, the chachma, and comes from the right arm, the right side, the right heart, the right love. And then there is a love that comes from the left side. A love of fire. So, so even within love itself, there's a love that comes from gevura, from intensity, from strength, from focus, concentration. And that comes from the left side, which comes from the bina, also from the left brain, the analytical mind, which evokes a very hot and intense reaction, emotional reaction, which leads to a fiery love. Although every love has to come through the combination of the father and the mother, the right brain and the left brain, the creative mind. And then that creative idea is processed and analyzed by the analytical mind, which leads to an emotion. And the creative mind, the chachma, the spark, that is the father. It's like the father contributes the sperm, which is just uh, the point. And then the mother develops that potential. That's the bina, the analytical mind. And so any emotion, even the emotions that, that 
that are kesef, that are silver, that come from the right side, also come through the left side, come through the bina, the analytical mind. But nevertheless, we see children, some children are splitting images of their father, and some children are splitting images of their mother. So although the mother carries the child, and she develops the child, but the child is born, the child resembles the father, has the characteristics of the father, the splitting image of the father. So the love of chesed, the love of the right side, even though it has to go through the bina, the, the left brain, but nevertheless, the result, the child that results, the offspring represents the father. It's from the right side. But then there's a child that represents the mother, who, who's similar to the mother, the splitting image of the mother, the same characteristics of the mother. So there's a love that has the characteristic, the qualities of gevura, of intensity. And he said, that's fire. There's two types of love. There's a love of water, and there's a love of fire. Love of water, water is very calm, water is very soothing. It's like a relationship between siblings. It's a very calm, soothing relationship. It's not turbulent, it's not chaotic, it's not, it's not intense. It's not like sparkling and powerful attraction and it's, it's, it's natural. Siblings feel natural with each other. It's just natural because we're, we're, we're siblings. Same blood, same... You feel comfortable. Years can go by, you haven't seen each other, you come back together, reunion, it's as if, as if you've never left. You feel comfortable with each other. The siblings, they're just, that's just natural. It's a natural, like water, it's flow, it flows calmly. That's the love of water. You love Hashem because Hashem is your life, because Hashem is your father. So it's, it's a very natural, it's a very comforting, a very soothing, a very... That's the water. But then you have the love of husband and wife. Relationship. Two strangers meet. Two opposites meet. And the sparks fly. <laughs> Romantic sparks fly. This intensity... There's something very precious about this love, this creativity, there's intensity, there's an energy, there's a pull, and it's a novelty, it's, 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 it's all-consuming, and it's a love that consumes you. A person can be so consumed by that love that you can't eat, that you can't drink. Talmud tells us that sometimes a person can, could become sick. You become sick, sick with love, you just become, you just, you just want to get out of yourself and draw near to the other person. The love of water, the water, you bring the object of your love to you. It comes to you. Fire jumps out, leaps out. You want to leave your position and find your lover and the object of your love. and So you want to jump out of your skin. and It just completely shakes you up and completely... You know, in a very positive way. It just, it just gets you to jump out of yourself. and It touches you in a very deep way, in a very profound way. It really, really gets to you in a very... That's fire. Just like fire. Fire completely penetrates and, and takes you apart. And, and, and it, it ultimately it burns up the object. So you completely lose yourself. When you have such an intense love for Hashem, 
where you completely want to go beyond your ego. You want to forget about yourself. You want to jump out of your nature. You just want to jump out of your skin. You just, out of your love for Hashem. You just want to become absorbed within Hashem. You just, you know, it's like a love relationship. It's very intense. But there's something very precious about it. It's like gold. It sparkles. It's, it's, it's alive. It's, 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 it's dynamic. It's, you know, it's, it's, it wakes you up. It's something, there's something very, you know, very special about, about gold. So this is that type of love. It's a love. It's a fiery love. It's an intense love. It's a passionate love. Not, not puppy love or real love for the other person that causes you to really jump out of yourself. So th- how do you reach this love? First you have to go through the other loves. A person who's not capable of loving can never reach this level of love. A person who knows the meaning of love, the true meaning of love. And you love Hashem because Hashem is your life. You love Hashem because Hashem is your father. And, and you, when you're able to develop a real love not a puppy love, real love, then ultimately, the ultimate level of love is when you reach a fiery love, of such intensity, such vibrancy, it's so, so real and so deep and profound, it just, it just shakes you to your core and causes you to jump out of yourself. Just, you, know, you want to do everything just to become one with Hashem. Now he's going to explain, what we left off is, what is the meditation that leads to this love? There has to be a reason. The love is an offspring. So what is the parent that leads to such an intense love? What is the meditation? Previously we learned the meditations that lead to the love of water. The kind, the compassionate, soothing love you develop. When you realize Hashem is your life. Hashem is the soul of my soul. Hashem is my life. Just like a person loves life. When you realize Hashem is your life, you love Hashem. When you realize that Hashem is your father. And you realize how Hashem loves us and took us out of Egypt so we can't help but reciprocate. So we know the meditation that gives birth to love. What is the meditation that gives birth to this type of love, this fiery love, this gold? The gold standard of love. What's the, what's the meditation that can lead to such... And now gold is very precious. <laughs> We're learning about gold now. Gold hasn't been this high in, in decades. And it's only going up and up and up. So we're realizing the preciousness of gold. What is it about this type of love? What the meditation that leads to this type of love? Okay, so in the bottom of 1753, the arousal of this love. The arousal of this love comes about through meditation on the greatness of the Infinite One, before whom all is considered as absolute nothingness. Then the soul becomes inflamed and flares up towards the precious splendor of His greatness. In order to gaze upon the glory of the King, this is the content of of this love. The love of water comes from our meditation and the fact that Hashem is the soul of the world, Hashem is our soul, Hashem is our life. And a person loves life. When you realize what is real life, what does a person want in life? You want life. You want passion, you want energy. You want to be alive, you want to be vibrant. What is the source of life? Hashem. 
So the closer you are to Hashem, the more connected you are to Hashem, the more vibrant you'll be, the more passionate, the more alive you'll be. The more you plug into the generator, the source of life, you come to life. So that's a love that fills you. That's a love that calms you and soothes you and fills you and expands you. But the meditation that leads you to the gold standard of love is a meditation realizing how the whole world and all of existence is nothing to Hashem. You know, it's not, this is not what Hashem does. Hashem gives life. It's not like Hashem is busy giving life. Like our soul. That's what our soul does. Our soul gives life. Our soul is parked in our bodies, hopefully for many, many long years. <laughs> our soul hopefully is not going anywhere. And once it's from the moment we're born to the last moment, the soul is not going anywhere. The soul is parked in our body. And that's what the soul does. The soul gives life. Hashem, it's not the same. It's not like Hashem, that's what Hashem does. What's Hashem busy? What's Hashem occupied with? He creates the world. He sustains the world. He gives life to all the worlds. Hashem, all of creation, is completely insignificant. Even within Hashem, within Hashem Himself, His ability to create, within Hashem is absolutely insignificant, Hashem. It's not like this is His greatness. This is what God does. You know what a God does? God does. God is a creator. And God is expressing His creativity, His greatness, His brilliance, His, his, his abilities. All of creation which comes from God's ability to create, within God, His ability to create, He can't even find it within Himself. It's absolutely insignificant. It's absolutely meaningless and insignificant. Within Himself, His own ability to create, it's completely incidental, it's completely meaningless and insignificant. It doesn't even begin to capture God, or to scratch the surface of who God is and what God is. So God's essence remains a complete mystery to us. All of the world, all that we know, and all that we're aware of, and existence, and life, and high levels of consciousness, and the whole universe, Hashem, all of this is absolutely insignificant. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. It doesn't begin to capture what God is, who God is. We know nothing of our God. Just because God creates the world, we know that God is a creator, which is the focus of all religions. The acknowledgement, the awareness that God is the soul of the world, God is the creator of the world. And therefore, an enlightened person, a, a mystical person, a spiritual person, someone who's in tune, who's open to God's divine energy, and God is the soul, and you have a relationship with God. But, in Judaism, the Jew realizes that ultimately this is completely insignificant to God. And therefore, when you realize that God's essence completely transcends the whole universe and the whole frame of reference of the universe and the whole frame of framework, and God's essence is completely beyond us, this evokes this fiery love that you want to jump out of yourself. You want to cling to God. You want to be absorbed with God. You want to connect with God's essence. 
nothing could satisfy. Nothing can satisfy this love and this yearning that you have. Because everything, all of our experiences, even spiritual experiences, and religious experiences, and intense experiences, and high levels of consciousness, all experiences are completely meaningless and insignificant and irrelevant to God's essence. So you want to connect with the essence of God. And none of these experiences could possibly satisfy that yearning and that hunger. So this creates within you this intense flame, like a fire, fiery love that you just want to, that completely, just like fire completely causes the object to disintegrate. You want, you want to completely go beyond your ego. You want, to go, you want to completely forget about yourself. And you want to connect with the essence of Hashem, with Hashem Himself. You want to be absorbed within Hashem. So this is a love that literally leads you away from yourself, leads you out of yourself. It's like fire causes you to disintegrate, it causes your whole ego and your whole sense of self and your whole sense of the other love, makes you very comfortable. It strengthens your self, sense of self. It broadens your sense of self. You're an enlightened self. You're a broader self. You see, you become part of the whole universe. You become part of God, who's the soul of the whole universe. It expands you. It's mind expanding. It expands your soul. It expands your heart. It's water. It's, it's comforting. It's soothing. But this love, it disturbs you. It wakes you up. It shakes you. It, it, it rattles you. It causes you to jump out of yourself. Because nothing can... It causes you to be restless, to... to you want to go beyond yourself. You want to rise above and, and you want to forget about yourself and you want to become one, one with Hashem. This causes this intense yearning that nothing could possibly satisfy. Nothing external, internal can possibly satisfy until you become completely nullified within Hashem. So what you're looking for is to be nullified. You're looking for to forget about yourself. You're looking to put yourself behind, leave yourself behind, leave your eye behind. Even your spiritual eye. Even the spiritual eye. Even the love of water, which is a, a beautiful, expanded self. You want to leave even your spiritual eye behind. Because even your spiritual eye is a contradiction or is, is an obstacle to connecting with God. Because what is this? What is the value of this experience? When to God, it's all nothing. It doesn't even begin to touch God. And you want to touch God Himself. So you want to get even beyond your spiritual life. You want to completely transcend and go beyond yourself. So, so this leads to an intense, fiery yearning and love and passion. That's like a burning flame that completely burns up your sense of I. Just like fire burns up the outer, this fire burns up any sense of I, any trace of I. And you want to completely forget about yourself. It's not about me. My spiritual high. My spiritual experience. It's not about me. Who cares about my spiritual high? Who cares about my spiritual experience? Who cares about any of this? When it's not connecting me with the essence of Hashem, the essence of God is so beyond anything that I can possibly experience. 
I want to connect with the essence of Hashem. So it burns you up. It burns up your sense of I. And you just want to forget about yourself and connect and become one with Hashem. Be absorbed within Hashem. Lose yourself within Hashem. So the love of water is you find yourself. You reveal and find a deeper sense of self, an expanded sense of self, a more meaningful sense of self, a more enlightened sense of self, a more satisfying sense of self, a spiritual sense of self. Here, I'm not looking for a sense of self. I'm looking to, for, to forget about I. I'm not looking for self. I'm looking for Hashem. And I can't find that within myself. Not through spiritual, not through anything material, not even through anything spiritual. Not through religion, not through mysticism, not through anything spiritual. I want Hashem Himself. The only way to connect with Hashem is I have to be completely nullified before Hashem. I want to be completely absorbed within the essence of Hashem. There is no I. Why do you need both? I mean, I would think, uh, you know, this fiery, like, encompasses everything. You know, it's such a... You know, eternal and such a uh, you know nullification. Why do you need the silver? Well, you can't get to the fiery love before you start out with the. With the you know, you can't jump to the top floor unless you you start out on the first floor. No matter how dedicated and devoted you are, you can't jump onto the roof. Despite what the new age people tell you, you can jump off a roof, but you can't jump onto a roof. You don't start, a material, egotistical person doesn't start out one day, wake up one day, and has this developed, fiery, intense, sparkling love that burns up your sense of I, and that you're on fire, and you're inflamed, and you're yearning, and you're, uh, you know, your soul is about to expire. This is not something that happens overnight. You develop. First you have to go from one level to the other. So first you do have to get out of your ego self, and learn to have a more spiritual orientation, a spiritual sense of I, which is the love of water, a more expanded, a more, more meaningful, a deeper sense of self, a more broader sense of self, connecting with Hashem, who's the life and the soul of all of existence and everything. But so once, once you have that, once then, you have then, that, then you let it go. Well, yeah, once you have that, you reach the highest level. You jump to a level of gold. You've just graduated to the gold standard of love, which is a whole different, a whole opposite direction. That's what he's saying. This love is completely different than the other love. This burns up any sense of I. It burns up any sense of spiritual life. Meditation is not enough for you. Religion is not enough for you. None of it is enough for you. When you have this burning love, you realize, Tashem, it's all meaningless. Tashem, it's nothing. So, so what, what does it help me that I'm spiritual and I'm Mother Teresa and I'm this and I'm that? Who cares? Tashem means absolutely nothing. I want Tashem Himself. So it burns up any sense of I, even a spiritual sense of I, an expanded sense of I, an enlightened sense of I, the highest level of consciousness. It's absolutely meaningless and nothing. I need Hashem Himself. So this causes you to jump out of yourself. Forget about yourself. I just want to become nullified. No I. Not only no ego, no materialistic ego, that my life is not about money, power, fame, external. Not even a spiritual sense of ego of I. Not even a spiritual ego. There's no I. All that I want to become one with Hashem. Forget about myself. It's not about me. This is the highest level a person can reach. Completely beyond... Even the spiritual sense of I, even that sense of I is burnt up, and you have this intense love and yearning for Hashem. 
it sparkles. This love sparkles. This love is, is as genuine as it gets. This love is a godly love. This love is, this is on fire. This is, this is fiery. This is, sparks are flying. This is, this is, this is real. It is like glowing fiery coals of a mighty flame which surges upward, not a love which is drawn towards an object, but one which ascends with a burning fire of clot and and it strives to be parted from the wick and wood in which it is taken hold. In the same way, the soul seeks to tear away from the body, which is compared to a weak wick and to wood, in relation to the fire and light of the soul. So the Rebbe explains the two expressions, like a fire. A fire, in order for fire to exist, fire has to hold on to something. It has to hold on to something material. Otherwise, if there's nothing material to hold on to, fire just disappears. And even when it's holding on to something material, it's jumping up. It wants to escape, it wants to jump up, it wants to leave the material. That's the nature of a fire, of a flame. So he uses the example when fire, when a, um, a wick catches on fire, or wood catches on fire. And this refers to, even within the soul, you have two different levels. You have the level of speech, action and speech, which is thicker, which is like wood. And then you have a wick. A wick is very... Is, is, you know, very little material. It's very fine material. That's like thought. So, with he's saying that the soul wants to go beyond, wants to go beyond not only its action and speech, it even wants to go beyond thought and beyond meditation and beyond. It wants to connect with Hashem. Um, and it's jumping up, even when it's holding on, when the soul is holding on. To the body, to the material experiences, to thought, speech, and action, the soul is leaping up like a flame. It's leaping up, it's jumping up. It wants to leave and, and become absorbed within its source. That's the nature of fire. Fire is completely egoless. That's why you want to bring an example of fire. That's where the soul is compared to a flame. Because a flame is egoless. That's why you can light a thousand flames or one candle. It doesn't take away. You can't have a thousand bodies of water in the same place, you know, or a thousand gas, you know, you have clashes, you have storms. But the flame is egoless, and you have to hold the flame down. And even when you hold the flame down, the flame is jumping up, it wants to leave, it wants to lose itself, it wants to become absorbed in the source. It's not trying to, con- to continue its existence, everything else wants to preserve its existence. Fire is uh, the exact opposite. Even when it's held down, it's really trying to lose its existence. It's not about self-preservation. It's about losing its ego, losing its eye, losing any sense of eye. Where the small flame leaps up and becomes absorbed in the big torch in, in its source. So this is the nature of, of flame. So when a Jew reaches such a level of love, like a fiery coals, a mighty flame, which jumps up and is trying to leave the wood that's containing it, that's holding it down, or the, or, the, or the wick that's holding it down, it wants to leave and jump up and be absorbed in its source. In the same way, the soul seeks to tear away from the body, which is compared to a wick, and to wood, in relation to the fire and light of the soul. 
This results from a predominance of the element of divine fire that is in the divine soul, unlike other forms of love which derive from the element of water in the divine soul. Okay, so he says every Jew has this potential in his soul. We have the foundation of fire within us. So we have that capacity, that love for that intense love for Hashem. We have it. Innate, inherent. We're born with it. But just like a fire in a coal, the fire is there. But you have to blow in it. When you blow in it, suddenly the fire leaps up and the fire becomes fully developed. So we have the potential, we have the, the pilot, we have the spark. But you have to blow in the spark, you have to make it, bring it out to the conscious level. Subconsciously, we all have that potential. But to bring it out to the conscious level, that you have to blow it. And blowing on it is by revealing it. And blowing on it, that's through this meditation. By first reaching the earlier levels, the levels of love, the level of silver. And then graduating and meditating on the reality of Hashem. Thinking about Hashem Himself. Till now, the previous loves, the love of silver, the love of water the love that comes from the right side, from kindness, and the soothing love, that's a love that comes from meditating on the world. Meditating that you love the world, you love life, but then you realize what is real life, what is the source of life, it's Hashem. So if you love life, you love Hashem. So you reveal a depth within, within life, and therefore you love Hashem. But it's all within the framework, the framework of the world, of existence, of yourself. So this is natural, and it's soothing. But then you realize that Hashem transcends the whole framework, the whole frame of reference. You're not thinking about Hashem the way He's creating the world and sustaining the world and bringing the world into existence. You're thinking about Hashem Himself. You're not thinking about the world. You're thinking about Hashem Himself. Hashem in relationship to the world. What is Hashem's relationship to? What is Hashem's relationship to His own creative ability to create the world? There's, it's nothing. It's completely insignificant, Hashem. It doesn't exhaust Hashem. It doesn't capture Hashem. It doesn't even scratch the surface of who Hashem is, what Hashem is. So Hashem Himself is so transcendent from all of creation, all of existence, the highest level of existence, the highest level imaginable, the most religious, the most intense, the most spiritual, the most sublime, the highest level of consciousness. To Hashem, it's so remote, it's so insignificant, it's so meaningless, it's so absolutely as if it was nothing. So when you start focusing on Hashem Himself, then you forget about the world. You forget about existence. You forget about I. You forget about this world. You forget about the world to come. You forget about your own spiritual self and your own spiritual satisfaction and your own spiritual greatness and expansion of your soul and expansion of your mind. What, what, what value does any of this have? You're focusing on Hashem. And you realize how great Hashem is. Hashem is so beyond anything we can even begin to even imagine. Hashem is so beyond anything. Then you want to love Hashem. I don't care about anything else. I just care about Hashem Himself. So forget about me. I just want to become absorbed in Hashem. Please. I just want to forget about myself. It it burns up any sense of ego and it burns up any sense of I. Any sense of spiritual I. It burns up the previous loves of water. It's not about I. It's not about... It's about Hashem. 
and you and it, it evokes, it arouses. You blow into that coal, you blow into that spark that we all have, and suddenly it becomes a huge flame. Consciously, you become consumed by this fiery, intense love for Hashem. That's inexplicable. It's so intense and so profound and so deep. And it rattles you, it shakes you, it burns up any sense, any trace of ego, of I, yes, even a spiritual eye. And all you think about is Hashem. I can't think of anything else. Like a lover, you're madly in love. You forget about him yourself. And all you can think about, you're obsessed with your lover. You can't think about anything else. It's not about me. Forget about yourself. It's all about the one I love. So here too, you become obsessed with Hashem. And you become, you've experienced such an intense, fiery love. This is, this is the highest love. This, this is the gold standard of love. And it's superior, it's qualitatively superior to the other loves. Just like gold is qualitatively superior to silver. You can't even compare. Not only because it's worth more, because it's... it's it, it just sparkles, it shines. It's something very special about gold. It just warms the heart. It just touches you in a very deep place. So this is the level of love. Everything in the physical world is just a symptom of the spiritual. And that's why it says, it's very interesting, it says, that there's gold and the silver. So silver coins are usually made of silver. Because that's the currency that people that's the currency that people use. Silver coins. Gold in comparison to silver, gold, the Talmud says is more like the object. It's not the money. The money, silver is the money because that's the currency. Gold is more like the object because even though gold is more precious than silver, but gold is not used as currency. And what that means on a spiritual level is that silver, the level of love of silver, that's currency. Most people have the potential to develop that love. The level of love of gold, the gold standard of love, this is unique. This is unique. Just like in the physical sense. How many people experience that mad love where you're just madly in love and you forget about yourself? Real love. We're not talking about infatuation or puppy love. But real love where you forget about yourself and you can't eat and you can't drink and and your your mind is obsessed with the other person and and you really love them and you love everything about them. uh, I'm talking about a real love. This level of love, where you love Hashem, a love, a love that's so intense, that's so fiery, that it burns any sense of I, even a spiritual sense of I. This is not currency. This is not standard. This is, this is, this is something that's unique. It's rare for a person to be able to achieve such a level of love. Exotic. Yeah, it's almost exotic. Like love, like gold. Gold is exotic. That's why the Talmud says, the Talmud says that gold really should not have been created. It really doesn't belong. It's not part of this world. The only reason that gold was created, it was only created for the temple. 
Everything in this world, everything in this world ultimately has to be used for Hashem. But everything in this world is part of this world. But you can also use it for holy things, for good things, for godly things. But gold, it says the world was not worthy of gold. Gold was not, it's not part of this world. The only reason it was created, only for the temple. Initially, outright, it was only created for Hashem. So now we understand what he means. Because this level of love, it's not part of this world. The whole focus of the love and the meditation that evokes this love is realizing that Hashem is not part of this world. Hashem is totally beyond the world. Hashem completely transcends the world and the whole frame of reference of this world. And therefore, it burns up any sense of I, any attachment that you have to this world. You want to forget about the world. You want to forget about this world. You want to forget about the world to come. It's not about I, it's about Hashem. And you become completely absorbed within, within your lover, within Hashem. You want to connect with the essence of Hashem. The Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was famous. The Alter Rebbe would, he would go into very deep meditation and roll on the ground. And he would say the verse from Psalms, Psalm 73. And he used to say in Yiddish, Ich will nicht dein Ganedene Elien, Ich will nicht dein Ganedene Tachten, Ich will nur dich allein. I don't want your higher level of the Garden of Eden. I don't want your lower level of the Garden of Eden. All I desire is you yourself. Yes. You, Hashem. You yourself. In other words, for a Jew, this is the ultimate, the gold standard of love. For a Jew, it's not about the world to come. It's not about spiritual reward. The soul is rewarded. Spiritual highs. To a Jew, this is all, this is nothing. That's not what it's at. That's not what it's about. It's not about I. I want you, Hashem Himself. And Hashem completely transcends the whole, all of the worlds. The higher world, the lower worlds. The whole existence, the whole frame of reference to Hashem. All of this is completely and absolutely as if it's nothing. And all a Jew desires, I want you, you yourself. And he would roll on the ground in ecstasy experiencing this love that he's describing it. But he experiences this love all the time. This is what motivated him. This is what drove him. This is this, this ultimate level of love. When a Jew experiences such a fiery, intense love for Hashem, that it burns up any sense of ego. Not only ego, it burns up any sense of I, even the spiritual I. And this love overcomes the water. The nature of water is water flows. Fire jumps up. Fire wants to lose itself, leave, is egoless, wants to completely lose its identity, become absorbed in its source. Water flows down. Water connects. Water brings together. Water soothes calming, that's the nature of water, fire burns up disturbs, takes apart it jumps up this is this fiery intense love that a Jew reaches and that's like gold this is gavura, comes from the, this is intention <laughs> you have to get the chassidus out, people have chassidus you know, you light up the room, there's no room for any 
darkness. You know, then, then you just think straight and you see straight and you have a sense. You know, Tanya teaches us how to differentiate, how to tell what's real, what's not real. It's amazing. Brilliant people. Without the Tanya, don't have this GPS. They don't have this guide, this internal guide. They don't have this sense. I mean, they can fall for the, for the, for the, for the greatest lies. How could anyone fall for Aslo? I mean, any five-year-old child in 1993 can tell you from day one, this is a bluff. And yet all these wise men and women and all these philosophers and were sitting in the White House crying when Rabin shook the hand with Arafat. Not crying of bitterness and sadness, but crying with joy, peace in our time. I mean, the emperor literally had no clothes. Any five-year-old child. Actually, that was... I don't know why I had the merit, but they shook their hand on Monday, I think. And the next day, Tuesday, my father-in-law's paper had an article published, The Emperor Has No Clothes, explaining the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's approach, how the whole piece is a bluff. It's not ours to give up, and the whole thing is it's all about life, and whatever. But anyone who studied Tanya just has a, you just have a sense of what's real, what's not real. If you don't study the Tanya, you fall for the cheapest propaganda. As brilliant as you are, you just, you have no, you have no sense. Not only you have no sense. You know, at least Chamberlain, after he made his food mistake, at least he hid under the table. No one heard from him again. He was so embarrassed. Peace in our time. time. (laughs) He led the World War II. At least he was embarrassed to show his face because he was such a fool. But these Oslowists, embarrassed, ashamed, nothing doing. They let it. I don't know how many Jews died, and I don't know how many thousands, tens of thousands were injured. I don't know how many hundred thousand were orphaned. And the war in Lebanon, and the war, the missile war in, in Gaza. No shame. No. Let's, let's continue doing it even more. Let's give up the whole Jerusalem. Let's evacuate not 8,000 Jews, a quarter million Jews, a half a million Jews. I mean, it's like... Yeah, but Rabbi, we had the Arabs on our side. They're going to invariably... Make say no. Yeah, that's the miracle, that they said no. They say no, right, right. That's a divine, open divine miracle. Well, They're so stubborn. A few rockets and that'll be the... They're so stubborn, even though logically, just say yes, take whatever you can, and then launch the rockets. No, but they're so honest, they can't lie. <laughs> they say, no, we refuse. You're giving us 99.9% of what we want. No, you don't give us that last... It, it's inexplicable, it's illogical. That's, that's the miracle. Yeah, that's that's the miracle. an open, <laughs> open miracle. But, but there's no sense of right and wrong. There's no distinction. Mm-hmm. And they fall for the cheapest propaganda. And they can't differentiate what's right and what's wrong and what's up and what's down and what's truth and what's false and what's you know, genuine. And, <laughs> and they just fall. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, it's really shocking. All those Jews today who have buyer's remorse when they voted for this president, Anyone with, with any five-year-old child could tell you this president will be the worst president for Israel in American history. I mean, j- just his background. He sat at this minister, this open... 20 years. V- right, 20 years. This is his minister, married him. And he sat there and listening and taking in all this, this venomous anti-Semitism. He says he didn't hear anything. Yeah, he didn't hear, he didn't know, he wasn't there. I mean, I mean, 
and, 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 they, and today they all have buyer's remorse. But you have to ask yourself, what, I don't understand. What happened to all your brilliance? You didn't see that two years ago. There was no, no secrets, everything. It was clear, as clear as it could be. So there's something missing. If you don't study Tanya, if you don't study Hasidus, you simply don't have, you know, you, it, Hasidus teaches you, the whole Tanya is here to teach us how to distinguish and to discern which voice is coming from our godly soul and what's coming from our ego, natural animal soul, which is superficial and what's genuine. Because it's very confusing. And sometimes you think, well, this sounds good. Maybe it's, it's a good thing. And then you, you go a little deeper. Wait a minute. This is, this is artificial. This is not the real. What does the godly voice say? What's the real? So if you don't have this grounding, if you don't have this exposure, this education, this awareness, you don't even have the tool. You simply, as brilliant as you are, you're the biggest fool walking on God's earth. You simply don't have the tool to distinguish what's genuine what's not genuine, what's real, what's not real. They can fall for the cheapest propaganda, for the, for the most outlandish, ridiculous, almost embarrassing. You know, how you can fall for something so obvious, you know, once it's exposed, it's so obvious that the whole thing was a lie. It always was a lie. It's not like it was a failed, you know, something real that failed. The whole thing from the beginning was just one big lie and blah but you were blind to it because you, you don't have what it takes. And that's really the moral of the story. And that's why it's so critical. And that's the gift, the blessing, that those who do study Hasidus and those who study Tanya just, are just given a certain tool, a certain inner GPS system that just tells you, you know, this is right and this is wrong, and this is up and this is down, this is genuine and this is false, this is deep and this is superficial. You know, and it's amazing. And time and time again. And that's why it's better to focus on the light. You get a spark of what's right and what's wrong. But then it dissipates. And, you know, like, for example, you'll learn this stuff. And, oh, it's the greatest thing going and all of that. And, but then you need to daven three times a day. You need to keep kosher. You need to do this. You need to do that. And you sort of like... Uh, you know, don't make that commitment. So it's great to hear the words, and it's great, uh, you know, oh yeah, Tanya's great, and all of that. But somehow it's got to translate into action, and that's... Uh, so the, 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 there's like a famous uh, like joke amongst Jews, says if you, person who drinks get drunk, it gets drunk. If people are very wealthy, many times become a little, a little crazy. You know, um, people learn Hasidus become God-fearing. The question is that people who drink and they don't get drunk. That people who are wealthy or not crazy. That people who study Hasidus <laughs> and they're not God-fearing. So the answer is let them drink a little more. <laughs> let them become a little a little wealthier. Let them learn a little more Hasidus and it'll get through to them. But the point is, once you learn to discern your inner voice and to hear your inner voice and to hear what's genuine and what's not. Then any issue that's thrown at you, you just have a sense. You know, you just have a sense. You have, you have, 
you have a frame of reference, you have something to, you know, does it, does it resonate, is it real? You know, you're not taken in by the surface and the superficial. When everyone in the world will tell you, even religious Jews, ah, oh, tzaddik. What's their definition of a tzaddik? The most superficial definition of a tzaddik. Oh, the rabbi is such a wonderful man. He dabbles three times a day. He's so kind. He's a tzaddik. Which cheapens the definition of the word tzaddik. Any, any 12-year-old child, Hasidic child, who studies Tanya, knows what a tzaddik is. A tzaddik is, is Moses, King David, one or two in every generation. A person who has no yetzahara. Suddenly you're not cheapening the currency. Tzaddik, you know what a tzaddik is? This rabbi, this nice rabbi, nice Rosh Hashiva, halavai, you should be a benini. A tzaddik, you know what a tzaddik is? You're not cheapening the, the currency, but when everything is superficial, oh, you know what happens? You, you have no sense, you have no frame of reference in superficial, genuine, deep, real. You know, everything becomes very confused, everything becomes one big mishmash, and it's very dark. And, and you don't see, and you don't distinguish, and you can fall for the cheapest, and, and you can't think for yourself, and you can't, you don't have that sense. But if you study, and the more you study, and the more, the deeper you go into it, you just develop a certain, a certain sense. You, know, you have a certain compass, and you have, you have something to, and then you can see through, you can see through cheap propaganda. Azla from day one was the cheapest propaganda. What we're seeing today, what 90% of Israel agrees today, that the whole thing was one big, massive, colossal failure. Anyone could have seen it from day one. Anyone who had a little, a little genuineness could have seen it, who was not afraid of being politically incorrect. You know, it takes courage to say truth. Even people recognize truth. Truth needs a little help. You have to have the courage to say it. By the time it becomes so clear that everyone sees it, but then you don't need it. You know, to oppose Hitler in 1944, you, you know, it's no big deal. To oppose Hitler in 1933, that takes courage. You know, to see what the agenda is really all about, and to see what this is really all about, to get to the bottom of it, and, to, and not to be taken in by what's politically correct. But, you know, that takes a person who's not a superficial person, a person who has a frame of reference, who has a way to distinguish. And, you know, today's college kids are not given those tools. It's the cheapest propaganda. It's the most superficial, whatever is popular, whatever is politically correct. And kids are not taught to think critically for themselves. To really stand up for what you believe in. Principle. And, and, and to have some frame of reference to be able to, in the cacophony of ideas, in the marketplace of ideas, to be able to differentiate the junk from the real, from the gem. You know, and that's why all these brilliant people fall for the cheapest, the cheapest propaganda. I mean, nothing changed. Nothing changed. But you know, but <clears throat> but that's that's the gift of Hasidus. That's the gift of, of studying Hasidus, which gives to be able to listen to your inner voice, to be able to distinguish what's coming from what. What's coming from a real place? What's coming from? It sounds good, but it's it's syrupy. This is our, this is artificially flavored. This is this is this is not not the real thing. This is drunk, drunk food, drunk ideas, drunk lifestyle. This is this is that's all it is. That's all it is. The whole gay agenda is drunk food, drunk ideas. It's not. It's not real. It's not. Um, but to be able to to distinguish that. You have to have Hasidus. And the truth is, if you don't have Hasidus, even religious Jews who don't have Hasidus, it's very, very superficial. 
very superficial. And they can also fall for the cheapest propaganda and, and don't have don't have that GPS, don't have that inner compass that can distinguish what's real and what's not real. And they fall for this, for the, it's almost shocking how they can fall for the cheapest and without being able to, to critically distinguish what's emis, what's not emis, what's good, what's not good, what's right, what's wrong, what's truth, what's not truth, what's genuine or not. It's, it's pretty shocking. It's being packaged differently today, though. Oh, everything it's is psychology. A, oh, yeah, uh, everything. Everything is in the packaging. Everything no, is in, 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 in you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't it was simpler. I mean, you got views from people like columnists in the papers, and they were honest views. Today, everything is like spin. You you don't know what a guy is saying when he's talking to you anymore. The person himself doesn't know most of the time. That's 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 what's so scary. But it's one thing when you know it's spin, when you can see through it. But unfortunately, the kids today don't even have the tools to see through it. This is like the gospel, and they don't even have the tools to, to critically reject or accept. Say, come on, this, this, this is what is this? And just because it's politically correct and it's popular, so what? Is this real? It's not real. Unfortunately, everything today has become spin. And people take the spin for reality. And how dare you, you oppose? How dare you oppose? This is, this, is, this is a bluff. This is a bubble. This is, there's nothing here. It's pure arrogance and chutzpah and bluff. That's all it is. Bluster. Of course, it's all in the packaging. If they would come openly and say, we want Jews in the Mediterranean, no, they can't say that. Of course, in the maps in the schools, the official maps in the schools, in all the Arab schools. They've got the Jews in the Mediterranean. Yeah, there are no Jews. The whole Israel is, is, is Palestine. There are no Jews. There's no Israel. That's they're revealing the true colors. That's what they believe and that's what they think. But if they say it openly, and that's what they say in Arabic, in their imams, in their radios, in their television, in their camps, until today, openly, clearly. But no one wants to hear because it's not politically correct. What they say is open, oh, we want peace. But we're not going to recognize you, you're Jewish, we're not going to recognize your existence. I mean, it, it, it's... So it's all in the packaging. When you say peace, when I'm against peace, you must be some fanatic when you're against peace. I'm so peace-loving, I'm so kind, I'm so compassionate. You're not kind, you're not compassionate. You're just a fool, the biggest fool walking on God's earth. That's all you are. It's nothing to do with kindness, nothing to do with compassion. <clears throat> but, but when it's packaged, everything is in the packaging. You know, if they came openly and say, we're anti-family, we want to destroy the family. I, okay, but they can't don't say that. We're pro this and pro that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very insidious. And it's all in the language. It's all in the package. It's all spin, you're right. And unfortunately, the kids today learning in the schools, in the highest universities, talking about the Ivy League colleges, they're not given the tools. They have no way to distinguish propaganda from reality. And that's, that's a frightening thing when you have all these brilliant minds just falling for the cheapest propaganda and don't have any, they don't even have a reference. 
it's one thing when you know you're in the cave and it's dark, but you know that there's a light, you know that there, you have some frame of reference. You, don't, you, you think that the darkness is light. <laughs> that's, that's the... Then you don't even have the, the option of climbing out of the cave. You don't even, there's no reason to climb out. The cave is wonderful. You're sitting in the darkness, it's pitch black, and it's wonderful. You think it's light. At least you're sitting in the darkness, but you know that there's light. So yeah, at least you'll try to climb out of the cave and try to, get, to leave the cave. But if you don't even know that there's such a thing as light, and you think that this is brilliance, culture, advancement, this is advancement. This is, this is, this is, this is going back to paganism. This is, this is so backwards, so childish, imperial. You know, it's led to the downfall of a lot of civilizations. Well, homosexuality. Oh, yeah, the Greek, the Roman, all went down the drain as a result of that. This is this is uh, this is the challenge for the Jews. Jewish people have to lead the way. We have to be the light. We have to lead the way. But we got a good partner. And he gave us the tools. He gave us the Torah. And we have to illuminate the way. And I'll tell you, when Jews speak up, my brother got a lot of positive responses. Articles. You got a lot of negative response from Jews. <laughs> but the, the non-Jews, they all loved this article. They, they loved it. They got a lot of positive response. You know, the Jew has to be the light. The Jew has to guide, has to lead. Has to... That's why the Jew has to stop mumbling. The Jew has to speak clearly, coherently, teach, teach the Torah, communicate, spread the Tanya, get the word out. And, uh, and then people will have something real to hold on to. Yan spin. This is real. This is emes. This is as real as it gets. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.